Happy New Year a few hours early. Would you please take out your Bibles? We're in Romans chapter 12 today. Romans chapter 12. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, please grab one from under a seat close by in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, take that one home with you after the service. Our gift to you. Need a copy of God's Word? He's left it for us, living his living word preserved for us as we study it together this morning. Again, we're in chapter 12 of the book of Romans. And follow along with me. We'll look at the first couple verses today. Paul takes, takes a little bit of a turn, if you would, here in this section of Romans. 12 through the end of, of the book, these next several chapters, taking us from the the theological, the doctrinal, if you would, and starts putting it into the very practical way that we live out the Christian life. And we begin to, our study this morning, Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, a couple of words I want to draw our attention to immediately as we start this morning. First of all, notice the word brethren, listed right away for us there. Paul is speaking directly to the Christians in the church in Rome. And for every born-again believer that is here today, this message is for us specifically. He's talking directly to Christians. And the next word I want to draw our attention to is the first word, therefore. And all of you Bible students know that whenever we see the word therefore, we need to determine what it is therefore. Very good. Very good. So... Obviously, we want to look at it in context, and so the, the best thing to do when you see that word in there is to go back up a few verses, and we can, we can see that very easily with what happens here in the, as chapter 11 transitions into chapter 12. Again, when Paul wrote this, dictating this letter, there weren't chapter breaks. There weren't verse, verse breaks, and, and that came much, much later. Paul continues on from where he left off at the end of chapter 11. So let's back up to verse 33 where Paul breaks into this song of praise, if you would, where he says, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord and who became his counselor? Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him, and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Paul breaks into this song of praise. And because of that, he just again, blown away by how amazingly good God is. And who he is. And all of his attributes kind of summed up for us in that as he's, as he's crying out in praise. But I think that it would be short of us to think that that is what Paul is the therefore bringing us to. It's almost like that is the, that is the exclamation point on the first 11 chapters, if you would, that we've looked at over the last several months. 
Because as we go back even to the beginning, and I would encourage you to do that, go back and read up to this point as we look through all that Paul has laid out for us. And, and as you do, you'll notice that there are four main therefores in the book of Romans. The first one occurs in chapter 2, verse 1. Right in the middle of the, about halfway through chapter 1, through midway point of chapter 3, Paul lays out for us a condition that we are all in as human beings. Because of sin, we have all fallen short of the glory of God. And because of that, we face condemnation. That is the therefore, if you would, of chapter 2, condemnation. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And in chapter 2, verse 1, he says it's because of that, we don't have room to stand in judgment of anyone else. We are all guilty. We all should face the wrath of God forever that is, that is revealed against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness. But then halfway through chapter 3, he begins up this glorious truth that, that as born-again believers, we embrace and we know that, that in that condition, there was nothing that we could do for ourselves to fix that, to save ourselves. So God sent his own son to live a perfect, sinless life and to die in our place. And if we receive the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, we are declared righteous. The word that is used there is justified, justification, being declared righteous, standing before a holy and righteous God through no righteousness of our own, but clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, we stand before him blameless. And that brings us to our second therefore, which is in chapter 5, verse 1, that tells us then, therefore, because we have been justified through faith, we are at peace with God. Peace with God. Our sin put us at enmity with God, at war with God. But because of grace, because we are justified, we are at peace with God. And Paul continues to unfold that for us. And, and the, the, then he talks about the struggle that we still have in our life with our flesh and, and then our old nature and the spirit now in us. And that brings us to the third, therefore, and that's at the beginning of chapter 8, 8 verse 1, where it tells us again this assurance that we have that therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The assurance that we have as believers in chapter 8, he goes through, and when we looked at that, there's so many beautiful truths in there. Talking in 8.28, we know that as believers, we know absolutely for a fact that God works all things together for our good. As born-again believers, as followers of his, he works all things together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. That doesn't mean that all things are good. We know that they're not. There are bad things. There are difficulties. There's tragedies. There's great things. There's good things. There's things that we would probably say, eh, kind of really doesn't really matter. God says, I'll take all of that and work it together for your good. And we see at the end of chapter 8, it begins with no condemnation. The end of chapter 8, no separation. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And then chapters 9 through 11, we've looked at over the last couple of weeks where it speaks of the fact that we know that God is faithful to his covenant that he has made to us, the new covenant, because he stayed faithful to his old covenant that he made with the children of Israel. And it is that that brings us to the point where Paul just breaks out and says, man, what a God. What an amazing God that we serve. A God that it's, it's from every, from everything is from him. We wouldn't have thought of this. We wouldn't have been able to come up with this. Only Almighty God could do it, and he did it. And he breaks into this amazing song of praise here at the end of chapter 11, and then he brings us, therefore, because of that, he takes us into 
This next section in the therefore in chapter 12, verse 1, deals with dedication. It deals with consecration. It takes the the believing and learning of the gospel and says that there needs to be behaving and living the gospel. Guys, what we believe should directly affect how we behave. If it doesn't, if, if we profess that we believe something, but it does not directly affect how we behave, we really have to ask ourselves the question, do I really believe it? If there's a truth that, that, we're, that we grab a hold of and we say, I believe that, but it doesn't change the way that I respond, again, it would really make no sense to, to be able to stand firm on that conviction. If I were to tell you that there is a bomb that's going to go off in five minutes in this room, I would imagine that it would affect your behavior. <laughs> You're all sitting comfortably right now. <laughs> if, if, you, if you truly believed it, your behavior would change. And it's, it's really amazing to me when, when we think of that truth because it's inherent in all of us. Even if it's not true, we'll believe things that are, are not true and it will affect our behavior. I, I would imagine that nobody here this, this morning was around to physically witness that or remember that. And if you were, God bless you. But in 1938, over the radio, day before Halloween one year, Orson Welles started telling the tale, the, the, the war of the worlds. But it was portrayed in such a way they were interrupting things and playing this. And it was like a live newscast. Pandemonium broke out because people believed we were really being invaded by Martians. They believed it. It affected their behavior. It's amazing to me how people's behavior changes when they say, well, I read it on the internet. <laughs> or how many times somebody has come up to me and say, well, you know, they say, and, and it affects their behavior. I always want to know who they are. Because whoever they are sure affects the behavior of a whole lot of people. But bottom line is the truth that has been revealed to us in Scripture it needs to change the way we live. It needs to affect our behavior. James takes it so far in his epistle, he says that we are to be doers of the word, not merely hearers. And to the next step where he said that faith without works is dead. He said that if, if, if the faith that you proclaim doesn't change the way you live and it's lived out in a way that is noticeable and changed unchanged life, that faith can't save you. And what, Paul, what James is saying is it's not faith and works that saves you. He's saying it's a faith that works that saves you. It, it, again, it will be lived out that you really believe what you say you believe because it will change your life and the way that you live. Paul says here, therefore, and again, brethren, Christians, note next the heart of Paul, but he's, re, he's revealing the heart of God in it. He says, I urge you, I beg you. There is a passion behind what it is that he's bringing. This isn't just a, hey, I might suggest. But notice also it's not a command. He does not say, I command you. He says, I urge you, I beg you. The heart of God in appealing to his fellow Christians the heart of God, however, coming through him, as in 2 Corinthians 5.20, where he writes, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. 
We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled with God. That is God's heart coming through us as believers. And here in chapter 12, verse 1, God's heart coming through Paul. I urge you. And notice what's next. By or because of the mercies of God. In response to the mercies of God. Now, last time when we were in chapter 11 at the end, if you'll remember, if you were with us, in verses 30 through 32, the word mercy is used four times in direct uh, correlation with disobedience. Our disobedience, God's mercy. And we talked about that being used then as not getting what we do deserve. Our disobedience deserves punishment. Our disobedience deserves the wrath of God. But when he extends us grace, that is, a, that is mercy, not giving us what we do deserve. But it's a different word that's used here. It's a different Greek word that is used translated here, mercies. It would be better translated compassions of God because mercy, not getting what you deserve, compassion is to look upon someone and realize their helpless state. Realize that they're suffering. But going beyond just recognition, going beyond just saying something, but getting actively involved in fixing the problem. Actively involved in helping the person who is suffering. And again, we see that as, as the Lord sending his own son, coming as one of us, dying in our place, our redemption. But it goes even beyond that going to the, the compassion that God continues to extend to us. His intercession, his, his understanding, he knows what we're going through. The Bible says that we don't have a high priest that doesn't understand what we're going through, what we're feeling, but one who went through everything that we go through. He subjected himself to that so that we can go to him and receive grace and mercy in our time of need, compassion. And the great part about God's compassion is it's a never-ending well. Lamentations 3.22 says, the Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Isn't that an amazing thing? Can you imagine if you had, a, had an account that, that had everything that you needed for the day and you withdrew all of that, but you woke up the next morning and it's full again? That is exactly what it's, being, what it's telling us here. This, this account that we have, we can never run it dry. It's new every morning as though we never took anything out of it. It's boom, there it is, full. The mercies of God. The compassions of God, the loving kindnesses of God, loving kindness. He loves us, yes, but kindness extended to us because of his love. And he's saying, guys, because of all of that, I urge you, I beg you. Notice a call to respond, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. It's interesting that he chose those words, that the Holy Spirit inspired him to use those words. Again, remember he's talking to Christians. And the call and the plea to Christians is to present your bodies 
And the word that is translated there is this physical earth suit that we have. Our bodies. To present that. Give that to God as a living holy sacrifice. And when we think about what it is that we do with our bodies and even it's different heresies and different things that have come into the church over time and false understandings of different things when it comes to our bodies. I mean, we have a tendency as human beings to worship our bodies, to, to present them in such a way that draws attention to ourselves and, and everything. But sometimes it, it feels like, okay, well, if I'm going to be really holy, I need to neglect my body. Even, even at times in, in his church history where they're whipping their body to, to, you know, taking it literal, physical. Well, guys, it's not about elevation. It's not about debilitation. It's not even about flagellation. It's about consecration. It's about dedication. It's about placing everything that we are at the disposal of God to do whatever he would choose to do to our, our entire lives, everything that we are. And that takes trust, trusting almighty God. I read a while back about a pastor from America who was involved in a mission trip overseas in a third world country. And he was meeting with the pastor there who the church, the, the church there, the, the Christian church was extremely persecuted where they were. But the church was thriving I mean, people were getting saved all over the place. And the church was growing in the midst of all of the persecution that was around them. And this pastor from America asked this pastor there, he says, what is the secret? What is the key? Why is it so different here than it is back in the States, back in, in the Western church? And he goes, I don't think you really want to know. He says, no, I really do. What is it? And he says, well, the problem with the church in America is it's all about commitment. He said, well, What's wrong with commitment? I don't understand. And he said, well, the problem with commitment is that <laughs> you're still in control. How many of you have already made New Year's commitments? You're still in control of that. He said, the church where we are, <laughs> it's all about surrender. So what's the difference between commitment and surrender? says, well, if a thief walked up to you, put a gun at your head and said, give me your wallet, you don't commit it to him. You surrender it to him. And that's the difference. Commitment, we're still hanging on. And what we're called to here and what Paul is calling us to is a surrender of it, to, to lay it all down. A living, holy sacrifice that is acceptable or literally well-pleasing to God. A living sacrifice. Again, when we, we look at that, the picture Paul's trying to paint there is one that we understand. Sacrifice, the sacrificial system that they had there wasn't a living sacrifice. The sacrifice was executed and completely placed on the altar. Well, we're called to be a living sacrifice. However, the all-in part still applies. The living sacrifice, it says, God, I, I'm all out for you. Everything I am is yours. I surrender everything that I am to you. I can, I can remember that moment in my life. I can remember the, the Romans 12, 1 moment in my life. As a believer, 
coming to the point in my life where I said, God, I am so tired of me. I'm so tired of still trying to do everything for me. I'm miserable. I'm, it, it's just, God, take it. Take all of me. And I'll confess, as I'm laying face down in my living room floor, I wanted to open my eye and say, okay, what's going to happen next? Because I was expecting something to happen right there. I tell you what did happen there. I was flooded with a peace that I've never experienced. A living, holy sacrifice. That word holy means completely, totally, exclusively dedicated to God, to his plans, to his work, to worship him. And again, remember, he's talking about our bodies. What does that mean? How does that look? Well, God, take my eyes and let me see only what you would have me see. Take my ears and let me hear only what you would have me hear. Take my feet and, and that I would go only where you want me to go. Take my hands and, and use me to do what only you want me to do. Take my mouth and use it for only what you want me to say. You put your words in my mouth. Well-pleasing to God. Well-pleasing to him. When I was thinking through this this week, and I, this is where I have to admit, this is where God had me most of the week, right here. Would you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, over just a few chapters. Ephesians chapter 5. Paul, again, writing to the Christians in Ephesus, speaking to them in this section here in Ephesians 5 about, again, our behavior. He says this, beginning in verse 1, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Verse 3, But immorality... Or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you, as is it proper for saints. And there must be no filthiness or silly talk or coarse jesting, which is not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. In these first verses of chapter 5, Paul again is outlining as Christians, there's certain things that we should never be a part of. Because those things are displeasing to God. Idolatry, immorality, sexual impurity, filthy 
things coming out of our mouths, even listening, being a part of any of that. It shouldn't even be named among us, those things that are displeasing to God. And I would, find, I, w- I would imagine that amongst us, we would all agree as born-again believers, those things that displease God, we don't want to be a part of that at all. But what we're talking about in Romans 12 and what Paul gets into next in Ephesians 5 is something different. And I believe that's where, again, God has us today. Notice verse 10. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Going beyond avoiding things that are displeasing to him, but actively pursuing things that are pleasing to him. Things that will bring joy to the Lord. And that is what, again, as we go back to Romans chapter 12, that is what it's saying here, that our lives as a living, holy sacrifice should be well-pleasing to the Lord. What does that mean, what, trying to learn what is pleasing to God? Our lives well-pleasing to him. Well, here it is, guys. It means to take every thought, every action, every word, and put it to the test. Does this please God? Does, does this action that I am about to do, is that going to bring honor to God? Is that going to please him? Would that put a smile on his face? That everything that we do, what if, what if Jesus was right next to you? Guess what? He is. (laughs) Well-pleasing to him. Guys, as as I meditate on this, and I pray that as you meditate on this, guys, that means that every conversation that we have, we need to hold it up to that light. Is this pleasing you, Lord? Every, Every activity, the movies that we go see, the shows that we watch on television, the music that we listen to, the hobbies that we do. Can we honestly hold that up and say God could be pleased with this? And again, a lot of that has to do with the heart that we have while we're doing that. But again, the activity itself, remember our bodies, what we're doing with that, the clothes that we wear, the way we present ourselves, where we surf on the internet, the friendships that we have, the, the way that we conduct business. The verse that, that really struck me this week with this, 2 Corinthians 5.9, Paul writes, Therefore we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. Paul says, when he says, well, at home or absent, what, he, what he's saying, wherever I go, Whatever I'm doing, my ambition is to please God. Now, no doubt all of us, again, sitting here New Year's Eve day, have either thought about it, come across, some of you have probably even had out a pen and paper and written it out, our New Year's resolutions, the things that we want to accomplish next year. No doubt many of us, too, have, have set out, okay, the, our, our ambitions for our life, 
the things that we want to achieve in our life, our five-year plan, 10-year plan, I want, you know, all of those types of things. Can I ask you honestly right now, where does pleasing God fit on that list? Honestly. As Christians, it should be number one. But I know, I, I, I don't know, if, if, I hope this is challenging you. Because so often we can lose sight of that. If that is number one on not only 2018, but from this moment forward in the rest of our lives, guys, being well-pleasing to God is going to affect everything else on that list. And that's what Paul said. That's my ambition. Everything. That it's well-pleasing to God. And notice what he says next as this comes through which is your spiritual service of worship. That word spiritual is the Greek word logikos, which is where we get our English word logic or logical. If you have a King James translation or a new King James translation, it is better translated in your version as reasonable. It is your reasonable service of worship. What Paul is saying is, guys, a life like that is the only thing that makes sense in light of everything that we know about God. Who he is, what we were, what he did, and who we are now. All of that points to the fact that nothing else makes sense. No other life makes sense other than a life that is totally given over to him, totally surrendered to him, totally, again, a living, holy sacrifice, well-pleasing to him. Our logical, reasonable, spiritual service of worship. That service of worship is one word in the Greek. And it literally, it's not talking about the worship that we do musically. It's talking about our life. Every aspect of our life should be worship, should be, should be lifted up to God. 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now, as we move into verse two, notice and is the first word. It's a connection here. This is not a separate thought. This is a continuation of what he is saying. And do not be conformed to this world. First of all, understand when he says world there, the word could be translated, and you might have this in your margin if you have that a margin reference in your Bible, age. This, this time that we are living in, first of all, that indicates that it's temporary. God's creation, when he created it, he, he tells us in his, in his word that it, is, it was good. It was perfect. Sin entered in and ruined the whole thing. But we know when we read the end, praise God, it's going to be perfect again. But this age that we're in right now, where the ruler of this age and, and the world system has grotesquely twisted God's perfect creation and made something disgusting out of it. And what Paul is saying is stop being molded and shaped by this present age. This present evil, wicked age. Don't let that mold you. Stop letting it shape you. And the idea is that something from the outside shaping, fitting you into something. And it's interesting that the word there, conformed, in the Greek, is in the passive tense. That means that you are allowing it to happen to you. 
And that goes contrary to what the world would like you to think about it. The world would like you to think that you're actually in control. That you actually have, you actually have the control of the situation. You can, you can spend just a couple of minutes on this website. Nobody's going to know and you'll be fine. You know, if you just have, just have a few drinks, you'll be able, you'll know when to say when. Just, just, you know, just, just, you're, you're, you're all right. You can pull the escape hatch anytime you want, but that's a lie. It's a deception. See, the problem with the lie, the problem with what the world offers and says, this is where you can find happiness. This is where you can find fulfillment is you never can, but it keeps saying, well, just a little bit more, just a little bit more, just a little bit more. And before you realize it, you turn around and you realize, how did I get so far away? But that's the lie of the world. And what Paul is saying is stop being conformed. Stop believing the lie. Stop chasing after, again, what the world is telling you and selling you. Because as John tells us, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Notice the world is passing away and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. And he, he, he draws the, the distinction there then as he does back in verse two of chapter 12. Do not be conformed to this world, but... Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transformed, that Greek word metamorpho, where we get metamorphosis, and the first thing we all think of, caterpillar, butterfly, and that's what what he's talking about. From the inside out, transformation. Conformed to the world, the outside in pressure, transformation inside out. Again, speaking to believers, the spirit of God is in you. The, list, the, the, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. And what Paul is calling to us here is allow that power to transform you from the inside out. Don't be conformed anymore by what the world is telling you. Allow the spirit of God to transform you on the inside and notice by the renewing of your mind because it's a battle of the mind the world would like to convince you to change, to change your thinking or to keep the thinking that you have, that I'm in control, that I can go after this, that I'll be fine with that. God's holding out on you. If you really want to experience everything that you can, just do it. Hey, come out here. What happens here stays here. Go, you know, just, just experience it all. You only live once. Oh, da, 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 da. It's all a lie. It's all, but it's all trying to, trying to get into our mind. But a renewing of our mind. Understanding that that's a lie. Understanding that Jesus gave his life for us to rescue us from that way of thinking. To rescue us from that life. That's what Paul says in Galatians chapter 1. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins, notice, so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. Don't be conformed, but be transformed. 
And I want you to notice this, and this is important as we keep moving through. Notice the next two words, so that. There's a reason. So that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. The truth of the matter is, as a human being, as a, as a creation of God created in his own image, God has a will for you. Individually, personally, intimately. Almighty creator God, creator of the universe, loves you so much. Personally, he cares for you so much. He has a perfect will for you. And notice what it says, the will of God, which is good. Because he is good. He can't be anything but good. Well-pleasing. But again, notice perfect. It's perfect for you. The will that God has for you is perfect for you. It is exactly what you would want for yourself if you had enough sense to want it. Perfect. That word there means lacking nothing. Again, the world keeps offering you these things that it can never, it can never fulfill. Just a little more, just a little bit more, just a little bit more. And God is calling and saying, just come to me. Why would you pay for all of that stuff that can't possibly fill you? I have it for free. Just come to me. A.W. Tozer said, God can't fill what he can't have. God's just saying, give me your life. I'll fill it. Give me who you are, all of you, and I will fill it abundantly beyond what you could ask or think. So again, as, as a believer here today, if you have not given everything to the Lord, and you're, again, we're talking your whole life now, everything about you, what's holding you back? You're only robbing yourself. You're only robbing yourself of all that God has for you. And it's good and it is perfect for you. The joy, the peace, everything that he has for you. Paul is saying, I urge you, I beg you. And that's the heart of God here, even to us again this morning. He's begging us, please give it to me. All of it. One other illustration that I, I heard this week that really, again, just drove it home for me personally. A pastor was talking about a vision that he had had with, with the Lord and, and looking at this, this idea of this mansion that was, that was him, that was his life, that was everything. And, and God says, as, as your Lord, I need the keys. Give me the keys to every room. And so he took out the keychain and he turned away and he took one key off and he stuck it in his pocket and he gave the whole rest of the keychain. And, and the Lord said to him, I need that key too. And he says, well, I gave you the key to the front door, the deadbolt, the everything, every, every room in the whole house. You have a key except this one. I need this one. And it's just a little closet back in the corner. Don't worry, it'll be okay. And the Lord said to him, if I'm not Lord of all, I'm not Lord at all. I need that key too. And he said, Lord, I can't give it to you. 
but I'll let you take it. So the Lord took it. And he said that he was flooded with that peace that passes understanding. And so I, I want to invite the worship team to come back up now. And I, but I want to ask that nobody leave. Because I don't know about you. I, I just, I love to see God in all the little details. You know, they, you've heard that saying, the devil's in the details. Eh, whatever. God's in the details. I love the little things about God. I don't know about you, but I, I was blown away thinking this is really cool that God has us in Romans 12, 1 and 2 on New Year's Eve. I didn't plan that. <laughs> and I, again, this is just a date. I get it. But let's, let's let God do a work in us this morning. If, if the Holy Spirit's moving in, in, in your heart this morning, do something about that. <laughs> If he's not, and you're just like, oh, I can't wait, I got a lunch appointment, would you just hang out in your seat so that you don't disrupt others that God might be doing something with, and maybe God will get really grab a hold of you here, but I, I want to encourage all of us here this morning, if you're here today and you've never, you've never taken even that first step of giving Jesus your heart, trusting in him and him alone for your salvation, I want to ask you today, I beg you. Follow Jesus today. Give him your life. Give him your heart. Ask him to come into your, to your life to forgive you of your sin. Surrender your life to him. But as, as believers, the rest of us here, I know that there are some here that still have all, the whole keychain. Because I was there. I know exactly where you are. Because I was there. I remember it vividly. Give him the keys today. And for those here today, I know there's many else that are here that you've done that already, but you still have that other key left. Give them that key today. Say, God, I, I, want, I want my number one thing on the list from today on to be well-pleasing to you. And this key is standing in the way, so you have it. Would you please stand with me? Again, this is, this is, this is a spiritual thing. This is a supernatural thing, but this is where we just have to let the Lord do what the Lord wants to do in our individual hearts today. So I want to even open up to, and again, there's nothing super special about coming forward. There's nothing that raises the elevation of the holiness of it to actually get on your physical knees. It's a position of your heart. But I want to invite you, if, that, if God's moving on you to come up to the altar, if God's moving on you to get, come up and get on your knees before him with this, that we have an area up front here that, we, that that's, it's for you. And don't worry about what other people think. Who cares? This is between you and the Lord. And, and let's, let's let God do a work in us today as we get ready to step into tomorrow and the tomorrow's after.